I love this church. Although it's my first time here on a Sunday morning, I've been here a bunch because my kids go to school at Wolka, and so we love you guys. I love your pastor. I'm thankful for, uh, for his ministry for so long in Baldensville and in this church and, and your staff. Man, you guys got a great church. Do you know that? Give, yeah, give a shout. Come on. There you go. But I'm, I'm excited to be with you guys. It's an honor to, to get to uh, open up the word with you. And uh, before we dive into the text, I was thinking this morning um, about some recent events in my life. Have you ever had moments in your life when you thought you were winning and then only to find out you were, in fact, losing? All right, I've had a few of these happen to me recently. Um, one of them was with my kids. My, my kids just had their birthdays. And in June, my son turned seven. And we made the very foolish choice of taking them mini-golfing for the first time. You should never take little kids mini-golfing. Let me just spare you the money and the exhaustion. But uh, we, we decided, you know, we're still young parents. We haven't learned it all. So we said, all right, let's take a mini-golfing. And we get out there. And um, I'm trying to teach. I'm a little competitive, you know. So I'm trying to teach my kids how to play mini-golf. I'm like, all right, guys, here's what you got to do. And, of course, like any kids, they're not listening to me. They could care less what I have to say. Even though they don't know this, but I am, uh, you know, a champion mini-golfer at least in my family growing up. Um, but nevertheless, my son had no interest in listening. But I'm trying to tell him, and pretty quickly I realized this about, about mini golf. It's counterintuitive to every other sport and activity they have learned thus far in their life, right? Because everything else is score as many points as you can. And then golf is like, all right, you got to get into the hole in the least number of strokes possible. And immediately I can tell in their brain that doesn't compute. They're like, wait, what? What? Least number of strokes? I don't... So I'm trying to help them. They, they're not listening. So we're like, all right, let's do this. Let's just see what happens. And of course, we take off. And immediately, I realize they think the way you win at mini golf is who can get through the 18 holes the fastest. That's their So, so they're, they just take off in a sprint. And they're doing the classic, like, smack the ball as hard as it can. They're dragging across the court. My, my, my son and daughter are both in a race to see who can get through. And, and I'm trying to yell at them. Thankfully, no one was there at the course at this time. But I'm trying to yell at them to teach them the right rules. And then like any good parent, I immediately give up. I'm like, forget it. You guys are on your own. And so my wife and I decide we're going to enjoy this course. But as my kids are going, they're about hole 12. And now other people have shown up. And they start trash talking us. And this is probably my fault as well. I've created a bit of a culture of trash talk in my house. Um, and on the way to the, the mini golf, I said, man, I'm, daddy's going to whip you guys. I'm going to beat you so bad on that course. And so... They now, in turn, other people around, they now start shouting out, Daddy, you're not going to whip us anymore. You're not going to beat us. We're ahead of you. And I'm like, shut up. There's people, like, everyone's going to think I'm not talking about mini golf, you know. That's for the car talk, kids. But they're, they're trash talking. They get to the end. And, of course, my wife and I immediately realize we just, that'll be 37 bucks we never see again, right? Like, and we get to the end. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that they, um, they actually lost because they were so confident they won. So I was like, yeah, you guys are the best. You're champions. Um, but moments in life, right? We think we're winning when, in fact, we're losing. And this also happened to me recently at a Chinese buffet. Some of you know the buffet lifestyle. You ever show up to a buffet and you're so hungry, right? And you immediately you get there and you're just like, I am the biggest winner in the world. 
Like anybody who's not here with me right now is such a loser. They do not know what they're missing out on. This is the greatest moment of my life. And you're just filling the plate up. You're going to town. You're like, what? As many trips as possible for $12? This is amazing. Yes, this shrimp looks a little funky, but I'm going for it, right? Like, I'm going to do crab legs. What? You know, and, and you think you're the winner. Like in that moment, you're like, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. And you're going to town. And then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, when you get home, you're, you're in a fetal position on your bed and you're like calling Pastor Randy, like, you got to come do an exorcism. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got some sort of demon inside of my stomach. I don't know what's happening. You, re- you immediately realize that you are, in fact, the loser, right? Not the biggest loser, but you thought you were winning, and in fact, you're losing. Like, there's moments in life where that happens, maybe not to you, but to me, often. And I think it's actually true of our spiritual lives. Like, even our Christianity, there, there's potential as we read the Bible that we could think that we're moving in the right direction, right? That we're living our life in such a way that God wants, that we're pursuing the right things, we're chasing down the right stuff, that the mission and direction of our life is the right one. We think we're winning, but in fact, we are missing out on the mission that God has for us. Like, if we're not careful, I think it's very easy to drift away from what God has and to pursue things that are not his mission at all, but they're in fact our mission. We think we're winning, but in fact, we're losing. And this morning, I want to I share with you two thoughts. Number one is this, God has a mission for your life. God has a mission. But the second thought is this, the mission is rooted in the gospel. So we're going to talk about this morning our gospel mission. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. I'm going to read it. Then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in. Y'all with me? Is that all right? Okay. Five of you up here. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. All right. Let's read Exodus 19, verse 3. It says this. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we just sang songs about you that reminded our hearts of who you are, that expressed our love for you. And we thank you that we can now open up your word and hear what you have to say to our hearts. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're active in this place, that even that there may be those here this morning who don't know you or not sure if they believe in you, but God, you are faithful to work. And I pray that as we are open to you, that you would move, that you would help point us to Jesus in a fresh and a profound way, that we would understand who you've made us to be and the mission that you've given us this morning. That's our heart and prayer. Everybody said, amen. All right, so in this, in this passage in the book of Exodus, we find this guy named Moses who's going up a mountain, right? And what's, what has happened is the people of Israel, this is really the moment where God is forming them into the people, into a people, his people, a people of Israel. Before this, for 400 years, they had been slaves in Egypt, right? So slavery is all they knew, and God led a guy named Moses to go and help lead them out of slavery in Egypt, and they went into the wilderness. They went to a place called Mount Sinai, and they began to camp around the mountain, and the Bible tells us that 
the visible presence of God could be seen at the top of Mount Sinai. And so God's up in the mountain and he invites Moses, who's the leader and really the priest. He's the go in, in between from God to the people. He invites him to come up to the mountain. And this is the first really message that God gives to Moses to give to the people of Israel. So remember, this is, this is a profound moment in shaping the nation of Israel and God saying to them, here's who you are and here's what I want you to do. And I actually think this is a profound moment in Scripture to reveal even to us today the heart and the big picture of what God is doing throughout all of creation. Exodus 19 is a powerful text. And I hope this morning that as we look at it and dive into it, here's what we're going to see. God has a mission, and our mission is motivated by the gospel. All right, so as we read... He says to Moses a couple of things. And the first thing we're going to look at is what I like to call the gospel order. The gospel order, right? And Moses uh, hears from God and God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so the first thing God says in the gospel order is grace, right? Notice that this is the very first line he says. And what does he say? He uses very specific language, right? He says, you yourselves have seen what I did. Why is that important? It's, it's because God is saying to them, you are passive, I am active, right? You've seen, meaning you're the witness. You didn't actually do it. I'm the one who did it. You witnessed what I did. And this is a pretty powerful thing because God is saying to them, you did not contribute in any way, shape, or form to your deliverance from slavery out of Egypt, all you did was witness my work, right? You are now free, not because of your work, not because you fought your way out, not because you, you uh, mustered up enough courage, not because you trained a bunch of military men and overthrew the Egyptians. No, no, no. You are now free. You are now no longer slaves because of my work. I brought you. It's me. God is declaring to them a statement that is so important for them to understand because it goes against everything that they had known up until this time. And the statement is this, you, your worth and value is not based on what you do. You're free not because of your performance or your behavior, right? I didn't free you or choose you or bring you to me because you're the biggest nation, the strongest nation, the wealthiest nation. In fact, they were the lowest on the totem pole when it came to those metrics. God is saying to you and to the nation of Israel, your worth and value is not based on what you do, but on what I do. And this is so counterintuitive for the nation of Israel because for 400 years, they had been slaves. The messages that had been spoken to them were you are worthless, you are nothing, you are less valuable than other people. You are insignificant. Your only purpose is to serve somebody else. I mean, for 400 years, generation after generation, that's what they were told, and that's what they believed. And now God brings them out, and he has to try to speak a new narrative into their hearts. Now, you know what's interesting? Is you and I need the exact same narrative today. Because this morning, here's what I know, in this, in this room are people who have been filled with uh, difficult stories, been filled with lives who maybe you've had people in your, in your life who have told you you're worthless, you have no value, you have no meaning. Maybe this morning you've come and you feel unloved, unworthy, unvaluable. You think, I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, I'm not, I'm not good enough at this, I'm not like other people. 
My parents abandoned me. This person, my, my husband walked out on me. Whatever the situation is, there's a good chance that most of us in this room oftentimes feel like our worth and value is based on our performance. And because our performance doesn't measure up, we feel unworthy. Man, God says something different. God says, you've seen what I've done. And then he goes and uses this language, I drew you out on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And in the Hebrew, that language expresses love and affection. So what God is saying is, I didn't just rescue you, but I love you. I wanna bring you to my heart. And for a nation of Israel, this was so counter to anything they had ever known about God. In, the, in their culture, what they were used to was there was lots of gods, but gods never loved people. Gods used people. And all of a sudden, now Yahweh, the, the, the God of Israel, comes and says, I rescued you because I love you. Starts with grace. Next thing he goes on, he says this. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, the ESV version says, now therefore... Obey me fully and keep my covenant. And that's, that's pretty profound, right? Because you noticed when most people think about Christianity, what do they think about? They think about rules and laws and obedience. I mean, that's kind of the first thing. I remember growing up and feeling like Christianity was a straitjacket, right? It was just like, here's all the stuff I can't do. And I remember looking at all my friends and they were having fun and they were doing all the stuff that I thought was gonna be awesome. And I thought, man, if I could just do that, my life would be so much better. And here I had parents who were, you know, making me go to church and youth group and Christianity it was all about the do's and don'ts. It was all about the stuff that you had to miss out on. And I remember my perception of God being kind of like, the old dude in your family who never wants anybody to have any fun. Anybody have that one guy in your family? I know I do, right? And they're kind of just curmudgeonly looking around and like, fun's happening? No, let me shut this down immediately. No fun, right? That was my perception of God. And I, and I remember feeling that way. I'm like, man, this is Christianity. Like, I like the, I mean, I don't want to go to hell, but man, there's no fun in this. What's interesting in this text is God doesn't start with obedience. You notice that? He doesn't say to the nation of Israel, okay, if you want to be my people, you have to obey me. What he says is, you are my people. I've brought you. I've rescued you. Now, therefore, obey me. Obedience is a reaction to grace. Obedience is a response to grace. And, and what's amazing is when we think about obedience, especially in our culture today, right? If you watch any Disney movie or really any movie at all, the narrative of today, the hero of the movies is always the person who throws off what other people are telling them to do and does what their own heart feels, right? Like that's every, every song. It's like, do what you feel, you know, which if you think about it is the worst advice you could give anybody, Right? Do what you feel. It's like, that is the dumbest advice you could ever give. Think about all the things you feel like doing. Right? If you're married, how many times do you feel like walking out on your spouse? Right? How many times do you feel like not doing the stuff that you'd want to do? How many times do you wake up in the morning and feel like not going to work? Right? The idea that you should do what your heart tells you is some of the worst advice ever, yet it permeates our culture. It's everywhere. And the, the, the irony is when we think about obedience, we think about it as a negative, but God is expressing it as a positive, actually as an act of love. The reason is because he's saying, I'm not just going to rescue you and then leave you. I want to rescue you and then show you how you can live a life that will best serve you. 
right? Like, I mean, that's actually an act of love is to say, I so care about you that I'm not just going to bring you out of slavery, but then I'm going to teach you how I've designed you and how I've made you so that if you do what I tell you to do, you will have this fruit, this amazing joy. You'll have this abundant life that is impossible if you don't do what I've called you to do. So the call to obedience is actually a reflection of God's greater love. And, and you know this to be true if you think about it, right? If your parents in the room, right, we, we put restrictions on our kids so that they can have more fruitful lives. Example, don't play in the street so that you don't get hit by a car. Thus, you will have a more fruitful life, right? Like, don't eat chocolate every meal of the day so that you can have teeth. Because trust me, it'll be more fruitful for you. Like, all right, we know that restriction oftentimes brings greater fruit in our life, and it's true of other areas, right? In marriage, you only can have one spouse. You can only be with one person at a time. Why? It's a restriction that creates a greater level of intimacy and love and commitment within a relationship. The only way to get that level of relationship is to restrict yourself on the front end. Restriction brings fruit. It brings blessing. And so when God comes and says, all right, understand, right, that I've called you to obey me, it's for your own good, it's for your own blessing. And that leads us to the third part, which is blessing. So we've got grace, we've got obedience and blessing. And he ends by, by saying this, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And in the Hebrew, this is indicating a, a kind of beholding right? Like I'm going to, God is saying, I'm going to behold you, nation of Israel. I'm going to treasure you as you treasure me. And this is kind of true in relationships, right? Like there's something about when you really fall in love with somebody, anybody, uh, anybody remember when you first got engaged or you first started dating, like that honeymoon phase of relationships, like that person, they can do no wrong, right? There's never a mistake they can make. I love everything they do. All the annoying habits are beautiful. It doesn't last. But in those, right, when you first start off, right, what's one of the beautiful things about that time? You, you're so in love with that person that you want to know all the things that please them and make them happy. So you start, like, like I remember my wife and I, when we first started dating, um, she had convinced me that she was a sports fan, which I later found out was a lie. But she was desperate to find out what I was into, right? She's like, what are you into? What? Said, oh, yeah, I'm a sports fan too. Yeah, I'm avid, avid watcher. You know, now 14 years later of marriage, I can barely get her to ever sit down for any sort of game. But nevertheless, right, when you're first dating, it's like, yeah, I love chick flicks, babe. Absolutely. Yes, I would love to watch Legally Blonde again. That would be amazing. Right, you're first in love. When you're in love with someone, like, you want to find out what makes them happy so that you can do what makes them happy, right? And God is saying, when you understand my grace and then you obey my covenant, it, what it shows me is that you're treasuring me. You want to make me happy, and that makes me happy for you, and we can treasure each other. And the beautiful thing about the, what, the, what that is is when Israel does that, they start to emanate the presence of God to the people around them. They show the world who God is in being his treasured possession. It's the blessing of obedience. As we understand his grace, we obey his commandments, there's blessing that flows out of our lives. And it comes in all sorts of ways. And God, God is saying, and, and, and he doesn't use this phrase, but I use it. This is the gospel order that he lays out for the nation of Israel. And here's what I want you to understand before we move into our mission. 
The reason this is so important is that often in life, the reason why we don't live out the mission God's given us is because we distort the order. We think obedience will get us grace. We think, God, I will obey you so that I can get your forgiveness in my life. Right? And, then, and all that does is when we mess up, and, I, and, and maybe you're like me, I remember most of my life living like this, right? In the weeks that I would really mess up and I'd really sin and, and really fall short, I would feel unworthy of God's grace. I remember walking in on those Sunday mornings and everybody would be worshiping and I'd like have my head down, you know, and just, just had to like try to shame myself. And I would barely sing. I'm like, I'm not even worthy to sing a song, you know? And, 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 and those were the weeks when I messed up, right? And then the weeks when I thought I did good and I punched my Christian card, I'd come in and I'd be like, hey, what's up? I'm the, mo- you know, I'm the, the, I'm the guy bringing the shofar in and the tambourine on the front. Worship's going on. I'm, I'm raising my hands. I'm looking at other people like, you guys really should be more passionate in your worship, you know? <laughs> like, honestly. Why? Because I thought the worthiness of God's grace was dependent on my performance. I thought my obedience dictated his grace. I was disjoining. I was messing up the gospel order. See, when grace comes first, it centers your heart. So when you think you're doing really good, it reminds you you're way more sinful than you even realize. And it brings you down. But when you feel low and broken and hurting, you remind yourself, it reminds yourself that your worth and value is not based on your performance, but it's based on his love. And it lifts your heart. The gospel will center you. So if you mess this order up, it becomes impossible to fulfill the mission God has given you. Grace, obedience, blessing. He goes on and, and here's what it says. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God shifts his language right here in this line. This line is missional. He begins to shift and explain to them. Up to this point, he's really been saying to them, here's what your identity is as my people. Right? Here's what, here's, here I'm giving you a new identity. You've been slaves for 400 years. You've been told you're nothing. Now I'm going to tell you who you are. This is your identity, right? Your value and worth is based on these words. And then he shifts because what we know is identity always informs your mission. And he shifts and now he communicates to them here's your mission. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what that means is, for the priests, their role was to be an in-between. They were to show the people who God was, and then to communicate the praise of the people back to God. And God says something profound. He says, you're all going to be priests. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. There's not going to be one of you, but you all are, which means that your life is going to be missional. It's going to be about showing the world who I am. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament for so long in my life, I thought, what is with Israel? Why are they the chosen people of God? Why did God just randomly select them and they kind of lucked out? But what you start to see here and communicated throughout all the Old Testament is the purpose of God bringing Israel together as a people was missional. It was so that God could reach the world with the message of who he was. And the idea was as Israel lived out their identity given to them by God, they were going to reflect who the real God was so that the rest of the world could look at them and say, oh, wow, their God is real. The God I'm worshiping is not. God had a heart for the world, and he was going to use the nation of Israel to bring that truth, to bring the gospel to them. 
And we know that this promise is given to Abraham, right, when he says, you will be a blessing to the whole world. The covenant promise to Abraham that his, his offspring would be a mighty nation, that's Israel. He says, and you will be a blessing. They will be a blessing to the world. The heart of God is a heart of mission. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. That's the very heart of God. And that's what he's saying to Israel. Israel, what, I've, what I'm doing in you and what I will do in you, I want to do through you. And so you're going to be my reflection to the world. I want people to see that the stuff they're chasing, the stuff they're hoping for, the stuff they're trying to find value and worth in, the things that they're looking to and saying, if I could just get this, I'd be fulfilled, I'd be happy, right? How many moms all over the world thinking, if I could just be a better mom, I'd be more happy. If I could just have a better spouse, I'd be more happy. If I could just have more money, I'd be happier, just have a better job, if people liked me, if my parents said they loved me, right? Whatever the thing is, all over this world, every person has in their human heart the idea that if I could just get this, or if I just hold on to this, I would be fulfilled. It's the relentless pursuit to find worth and value and identity. And God is saying to Israel, and he's saying to you and I, you have what the world is looking for, and his name is Jesus. And I've given you a mission, a mission. The direction of your life is about taking that message and helping other people discover it. When your identity is restored, your mission becomes to help others experience the exact same thing. And that's pretty profound because what it means is your job is not your mission, although it can be part of it. Your talents are not your mission. The stuff you're good at and you love is not your mission. Right, Your mission is laid out for us in the New Testament by the very words of Jesus when he says to the disciples, go and make disciples. What I've done in you, I want to do through you. Now church, I don't know about you, but there's moments for me that I think, God, I don't know how to do this. Right? I don't know how I'm supposed to fulfill what you've called me to do. One of the most amazing things is, is when we, we look at this text this text points us forward. Because if you follow the story of Israel, what we find out is Israel failed at their mission. They consistently forgot their identity, who they were, and they began to look and act like every other nation. And therefore, they didn't accomplish their mission. And all along, there's prophecies in the Old Testament who point forward, right? We need a true and better David, right? We need someone who's going to come, someone who's going to fulfill this. They're always looking forward, and we see the fulfillment come 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, here's what we see. We see something profound. He lives a perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I couldn't live, right? The life that we should but don't. And he goes to the cross, and on the cross, he does something, he does something spectacular, on the cross, Jesus, who is the only person to truly understand his identity and live it out, never forget it, he all, always understood who he was. He goes to the cross, and on the cross, he sacrifices his identity. He gives it up and lays it down. What he deserved, who he was, he laid it down to secure our identity. And in doing so, he fulfilled his mission. Jesus was the only one who has ever lived out his identity and accomplished his mission. And in doing that on the cross, he fulfilled and allowed us to be able to have an identity and fulfill our mission. He secured 
the gospel order. He secured our identity, our value and worth, and now makes it possible for us to live a life that's not selfish, it's not based on what we want or what we're chasing, but it's a life based on others. His example of giving everything he had to serve us becomes our example. We give what we have to serve him. That's our mission. Go and make disciples. Help those who don't know their identity discover it in him. So could you, would you uh, just close your eyes for a moment? I, I think God wants to speak something to our hearts today. And here's, as I was preparing for this, um, I really felt like God wanted to challenge every person in this room. And here's the challenge. Who's your one? Who's the one person right now that you would say, they're my mission? Who's the one person in your life that, that does not know Jesus, that has not discovered their, their identity in him, and, and, and you know right now this is the person God has given me? And maybe you have more than one, and that's awesome, but at least one. Who's your one? Who's that person that you could say right now, right now, this is, this is my mission? This is the person I've called to disciple. This is the person I've called to love and to serve and to give my life for. This is the person I'm believing that God is going to use me to bring the gospel to them so that they could find life and find it abundantly. And if you're sitting here today and, and the answer to that question is, I don't know, then here's what I believe God wants to speak that person to your heart, if you're willing. And so as you're, as you're praying and as you're thinking and as we're going to worship in a moment, I believe that God wants to speak a person into you, that a person to your heart that he's going to say, here's your one. This is your person that I've called you to be intentional about reaching. This is the person I've called you to say, what God, you've done in me, I want you to do through me. And here's what you should know, right? Before God, before God speaks this, before you sign off on this so quickly, this is going to take sacrifice and commitment. This means, this means doing things you may not want to do. This means giving up freedoms. This means living your life in such a way that says it's not about me. It's not about my comforts and my enjoyment. It's not about the stuff I want. God, it's about your mission. What have you called me to do? Who's my one? Jesus, this morning our prayer is would you remind our hearts of your gospel order? Would you remind our hearts of our identity that's found in you? And would you remind us of the mission you've called us to? Who's our one today, God? Is it our neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a fellow student? Is it a family member, God? Who's our one? I pray that person would be so real in our hearts right now. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give us the words to speak to them. You would give us the moments to interact with them. You would give us the, um, the ability and the perseverance to pray for them, God. Who is our one? Let that, person, let that person be a burden in our hearts, God, that we would love them and care for them in the way that you love them and care for them, God. We have an identity. Now help us understand our mission. That's our heart, and that's our prayer. Hey, this morning, if you feel like God has given you that person, would you stand to your feet? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to end with the song. And as we're singing and we're, 
worshiping Jesus and reminding our hearts of how great he is, let's think about this person. And let's believe that maybe there'll be a day when this person will be sitting next to us in this very room. Or maybe they'll be at your dinner table or at a local coffee house and God will give you the opportunity to share Jesus with them and their life will be changed. Amen? We all have an identity and we certainly have a mission. So as we sing, would you guys do that with me this morning?